Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're looking at a topic that is of great relevance, not only in Indian country, but beyond. We're speaking about things that actually impact our whole outlook on life, our mental health, our communities, and it brings us really to a very controversial subject. We're talking about food manufacturers, about advertisers, and how we're getting messages that actually may not be in our best interests. Our guest today, Tana Amen. Tana, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks, Dr. DeRose. It's been an honor to be with you. Tana, you are someone whose name is very familiar in medical circles. You and your husband have been making quite a mark in the medical community and in the lay community for the things that you're writing and teaching about brain health. Tell us a little bit about your background first. So I, by training, am a trauma nurse. I worked in a level A a neurosurgical ICU and trauma unit. And I now work with my husband at the Amon Clinics, as vice president of the Amon Clinics, where we do brain scans related to behavior. So we have six psychiatric clinics. I am an author and a speaker, so I have the best-selling book, The Omni Diet. And I do a lot of speaking, and I've, I've worked with programs like the Daniel Plan. I was one of the original coaches for the Daniel Plan, where we worked to get people healthy through church communities. And it was just a huge success. That was lots of fun. And the Salvation Army and different programs as, as such. I've worked a lot with large groups and also with our patients in our clinic. And, Tana, you are known right now, especially through a new connection. You've got a new series of books about the brain warrior. Uh, Tell us about this concept and what your role is in that project. Yeah, people often sort of look at us funny, like, why did you call it The Brain Warrior's Way? So we have two books, The Brain Warrior's Way and The Brain Warrior's Way Cookbook. And here's what we say. If you know, if you really understand what you're up against in, in this day and age, it's a war for your health, the health mm. of your brain and your body. And I say that because if you've ever been sick or taken care of somebody sick, you know it's a war. If you've got family members that have Alzheimer's disease or a child that's sick, or like in my case, I had cancer three times and I was a really sick kid growing up. I was one of those kids who was always in the hospital and on, on antibiotics. It's a war. And when you look around, there's always someone trying to shove bad food down your throat that will kill you early. You know, there's toxic messages on the news that just keep you ramped up. There's, you know, technology that takes you away from what's important in your life and keeps you distracted. So it's a war, but it's a war you can win. So I know as somebody who was really sick that this is a war, but if you are armed and prepared, you can win this war. In fact, if you train appropriately, I practice martial arts, and I love the concept that if you're really trained and you train daily, you can usually avoid the war, and that's what we want for people. Well, it's an interesting message, uh, avoiding war by training. A lot of times people think, well, we're just going to dive in there and fight the fight, but really we're trying to avoid challenges in our lives and trying to minimize the impact of these challenges on our families and our communities, right? Yeah, so I have a sort of an interesting story. So the reason that I got into this was to save myself. People, you know, I'm not just a writer because I wanted to be a coach. It's personal for me. 
So not only did I grow up very unhealthy, but I grew up very poor. So a single working mother, she was a 16-year-old runaway. Um, we did not live in a good area. And I was attacked when I was 15 years old. I was actually assaulted on the street walking to high school. Wow. So I know what it's like to be physically assaulted as well as being assaulted with my health. And I remember being really scared. Now, I got away from him. I was nearly raped. It was really scary. And I fought really hard, and I managed to get away. I'm one of the lucky ones. But I remember being terrified and thinking to myself, this is really scary, and I don't like the feeling of being a victim. I mean, I, like, really don't like it. Mm -hmm. And I, after a few days, thought to myself, you know, I don't want to go through life feeling like a victim. It's not fair that I should have to be scared because someone is larger than I am, because somebody has more power, physical power, than I do. So I started training. I started training to make myself strong. I started training in martial arts. I started training to empower myself. So when I think of training for health, now, you know, fast forward eight years, and I ended up finding out I had cancer. I felt like it was a sucker punch I never saw coming. Mm. This was, that was a fight that was harder for me because I didn't know how to fight back. But when I finally got that concept of being a warrior, it's like, look, I train to be able to be safe on the street. Well, I have to train the same way to win this fight of my life, you know, against cancer. So I started implementing those same philosophies, and frankly, it is really the same. You have to think like a warrior to win a fight like that, to win the fight for your health, and that's really what I want people to get. So as you train, you become empowered. You think differently. You, you know, when I went in to go start training in martial arts, I wanted to learn how to fight. I just mm -hmm. wanted to learn how to protect myself and fight. And my master looked at me, and he kind of laughed, and he said, yeah, that's probably not a good plan. I don't want you to go out and start fighting guys that are double your size. That's mm -hmm. a really bad plan unless you are left with no other option. What I want you to do is learn how to run really fast, <laughs> notice when there's a problem or a challenge, and avoid that fight as much as possible. Be trained, prepared, aware, and avoid the fight. Wow. That's a great message. So it's basically training to uh, be able to deal with things as best you can, but really to avoid some of the most difficult things. That's really the preventive medicine challenge that we hear a lot about in medical circles, isn't it? Absolutely. And then when you do, so in my case, if you do have to fight, so if you, like in my case, I got cancer. If you absolutely are left with no other choice, so you can't show up on fight day and think you're going to win if you haven't been training every day and you haven't been building your reserves, if you will, been training to be strong and healthy. You don't have some, some really good moves in your arsenal. If mm -hmm. you haven't been training every day, then if you do have to fight, you're left weak. But if you've been training, you know, especially when it comes to your health, then you have that fighting chance. Well, I think what's so compelling, not only about your own experience, but about where you've taken this, Tana, is we're talking about brain warriors. And it's easy, I think, to conceptualize fighting physically or even fighting cancer, as difficult as that may seem to be able to wrap our arms around. I mean, how do you fight cancer? We always talk about it being a fight, but what do you do when you've actually got the diagnosis? You're talking with us about something that is... Uh, even less tangible for many people because we've got these mental stressors, these mental battles that we may be in that we're not even aware of. Isn't that often the case? So true. I mean, I'm glad you actually brought that up because what we like to tell people is, you know, what's good for your brain is good for your heart, is good for your hormones, is really good for everything in your life, and what's bad for your brain is bad for all of those things. And really, the war for your health, be it your brain or your body, is won or lost 
with that, you know, two and a half to three pound mass between your ears. Mm. It's the day-to-day decisions that you make. So the way you win this war is with the decisions you make on a daily basis. So, and just to, to really, you know, get into what you're saying, when I went through all of those health challenges, it took me down. I mean, I went through a depression that that was the thing that really affected me the hardest. Mm. So your brain is affected in so many ways, and then you start making bad decisions, and it's um, and depression actually increases your risk of Alzheimer's disease. I mean, there's so many ways that this affects you. What you eat on a daily basis actually increases your risk of certain diseases as well as brain fog and making more bad decisions and depression and anxiety. Um, there's so many ways that this is connected, but it's with your brain that you either win or lose this war. So that's why we want people to start with that because avoiding, you know, how do you prevent Alzheimer's disease? You prevent all the things that cause it, like diabetes, obesity, heart disease, mm-hmm. depression. That's how you avoid Alzheimer's disease. That's how you prevent it. So obviously, by preventing all of those other things, you're going to take care of the rest of your health as well. They're connected. They're not separate. Now, this is, this is a great message. And I'll just tell you, as we started the show, we're in a battle when it comes to our decisions because we've got all kinds of messages coming at us from all types of media telling us that we should eat this, we should eat that. And from my vantage point as a physician, a lot of those messages don't seem to be in our personal interest. How do you look at that uh, from your perspective, your husband's perspective, and the work that you folks do at the uh, Amen Clinic? Well, let me just start with this, a couple little jingles that most of you will remember. They're great. Bet you can't eat just one. So I was a latchkey kid, and I grew up, you know, the, the leprechaun, the tiger, they were my best friends. And I'm talking about the, some of the garbage food products that were out there. I don't want to name names, but these are things we remember. We remember the jingles. We remember the characters. So these companies actually spend billions of dollars to hire food scientists. And they, they know the jingles that stick with you. They know the music. They know that if they use, you know, scantily clad women that are barely dressed, eating burgers that are dripping all over them, women will think they will look like that. Men will think they will be able to attract these women. On what planet do you think that that's real? Do you know that Catherine Webb had a spit bucket she was spitting into every time she took a bite of, you know, that burger? So it's not real, but we are... We are trained to believe, we're, it's like Pavlov's dogs, we're conditioned when we hear those jingles or we see certain things to want them. And then they also know the perfect meltiness, the perfect crunchiness. They know the perfect combinations of foods to combine that actually affect what we call the bliss point in your brain. So literally, they trigger a certain part of the brain that we call the pleasure center, the nucleus accumbens, it's called the pleasure center, same part of the brain that cocaine, morphine, and heroin work on. Except, guess what? Certain combinations of sugar, salt, and fat, especially like processed trans fats, when they combine those, they actually turn on more cells in that part of the brain. Eight times, they're eight times stronger than those drugs. Wow. That's a statistic I hadn't heard, Donna. Yep. It's crazy. Wow. So we're basically talking about brain warfare. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, you got us thinking here. You've put out some generalities, but I think we need to get down to some specifics. What are the kind of foods that we should be avoiding if we want to have our brains functioning at uh, the optimal level? So to make it really simple, 
when, when, when our government started subsidizing foods with a lot of processed foods and white flour, sugar, uh, you know, corn products, that's when our, you know, a lot of obesity and diseases and started going through the roof. Diabetes started going through the roof. So really what, we're, what I'd like to tell people to make it really simple, think of what your grandparents would have recognized as food. So, you know, n- none of the chemicals, if you can't pronounce it, it's probably not a good idea. Hmm. If it's got more than five ingredients on, a, on the back of a label and they are chemicals you don't know, you should avoid them. And especially almost all processed foods contain these things. So they contain sugar. They contain some byproduct of corn, so it's not like a natural, real, you know, corn. It's like corn something, and they're all GMO, or a, or a cheap form of soy. And all of these things are inflammatory. So really we want people to avoid processed foods, those cheap processed foods as much as possible. Go for whole foods and avoid the chemicals. So the sugar, the cheap oils, um, the white flours, because it's not just sugar, it's foods that quickly turn to sugar. So white flour, rice, you know, bread, those things quickly turn to sugar, and they're affecting you just as bad as sugar is with raising your blood sugar, your insulin, keeping you overweight, causing brain fog. You make bad decisions as your blood sugar goes up and then drops, up and then drops. You make bad decisions throughout the day, and it increases your inflammation and your risk of almost every disease. You've talked about something that I've heard my patients refer to. Other folks have heard this. Some people know they have it. Other people have just heard of it. You've mentioned this term brain fog more than once. Is this a technical term, or is this kind of a a lay designation for something uh, more technical? Well, I think, you know, it's it's sort of what the lay person would, would call it, but it's the easiest way to describe the feeling when someone eats these foods, um, they will often get this sensation of they'll feel really good for a few minutes. So your blood sugar goes up, it spikes, and you feel you've got this high. Then all of a sudden it drops. And then when it drops, when your blood sugar drops, you get this sensation of what happens is your, as your blood sugar goes down, your body hates low blood sugar. It actually hates it more than it hates high blood sugar. Mm. When you get this sensation of low blood sugar, you get this sense of almost confusion. So it's like confusion, a little bit of shakiness, a little bit of irritable feeling. And that's why that sugar and those cheap carbs are addictive. Because as your blood sugar drops, your body sees that as almost a state of emergency. That's why they're addicted. They keep you on this cycle. So you get this sense of like, I can't focus almost. And that makes people want more. Wow. Wow. Boy, you talk about a setup for addiction and for bad food choices. Tana, we have got to just step away for a moment. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Tana Ammon is uh, speaking to us about brain warriors. You can be one of them. You can make good decisions and have better health. We've got a lot more to come. Don't go away. We'll be coming right back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's one 800 775 Four six seven three. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical. 
medical unit. Respond to 102 Maple Avenue. Possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Tana Amen. I'll tell you, Tana and I were speaking at the break, and you look at the last name. You maybe have seen in print her name, her husband's name. It looks like, if you come from a... Uh, a religious background that you want to call them the Amens because it's A M E N, but Amen is the more correct pronunciation. Have I finally got that down? You do. I'm okay with it either way. It's a big name to live up to, but <laughs> I'm willing to try. Okay, so we've been talking about this uh, exciting new project called the Brain Warrior. You've got the Brain Warrior's Way and the Brain Warrior's Way cookbook. You and your husband, who is a neuroscientist, correct, are the authors of those works. Tell us a little bit more now. We were before we stepped away. You were talking about this uh, this real dangerous scenario that we're often set up for. We buy these foods. I'm speaking as a culture, and and this uh, this culture, this dietary culture, has come into Indian country in a very uh, ignoble way. Maybe is the best way to say it. Native Americans did not choose these highly processed foods, but they've become so available through the commodity program and other things that if you go on a reservation, you'll see a lot of these foods that were never part of the traditional Native American lifestyle or any traditional lifestyle. But as you've been sharing with us, uh, Tana, these are things that chemists have really been working with to fool our pleasure centers, if you will, and keep us coming back for more, but they're not the kind of foods that we want if we want to have optimal brain or physical fitness. Have I got that message down? You do, and I I really don't want to speak out of turn here, but when I think of what you just said, it's really not fair. The food subsidies, and you know, it's like they fought a war and they're fighting another war, Mm. Um, and that's sort of unfair when you think about hunter-gatherer communities were always the healthiest. And now they're all, that most of them are the unhealthiest when it comes to certain diseases like diabetes, obesity, um, heart disease, because of some of the food subsidies. 
And so that's really interesting. I mean, I know some of them are actually studied because of this problem. And it, it all started when we started subsidizing some of the food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's just a really interesting thing to pay attention to is that they go from being some of the healthiest, you know, with being muscular and strong and then all of a sudden having these problems. And, and I just wanted to point that out. And it, it's a problem. And so when we see we have psychiatric clinics, and it's not just the obesity. and But, you know, like I said earlier, what affects your your hormones, what affects your heart also affects your brain. Mm-hmm. So some of these foods like sugar and also some of the, the substances like gluten in some of the flour can, for some people, be have a negative effect on their brain function. So in our clinics, we see people um, in certain uh, conditions like, say, autism or other problems, schizophrenia, when some of these substances break down with stomach acid, they've been shown to cross over into the blood-brain barrier and affect the brain in similar ways as those drugs that we talked about earlier and cause that addictive type of reaction, but also that brain fog we were talking about. Sometimes changing someone's diet can have a very positive effect on, how, on their behavior. Well, now so this... I just want to point that out, that food matters. It matters a lot. Well, this is something we can't just uh, gloss over because I know a lot of listeners, they heard schizophrenia, they heard autism, and they're wondering if they heard you right. Are you saying that perhaps excluding things like gluten from the diet and maybe some other uh, food substances can dramatically improve someone who has a serious mental diagnosis like schizophrenia or autism, perhaps? So I always want to be very responsible. And I'm never going to say that it will or will not, because that is a medical diagnosis. You always want to make sure that you are being treated. In our clinics, what we do is we look at everything. Mm -hmm. So we look at what we call four circles, biology, which is how your body's working, Um, your blood work, do you have, you know, what's going on inside of your body with your biology, your psychology, what's going on with you mentally. Um, We want to work, you know, always look at that circle, your social circles, and your spiritual circles. But... Included with that biology, we will include the physical stuff with with food. And, yes, food plays a large role in what we do. Is it the only thing to look at? Absolutely not. But I want to make sure that people know that this is, you know, you don't ever want to treat yourself, go off of medications and think food's going to do everything. Never do that. No, no, great point. So, But but coming back to the, the gluten connection, because there are some people out there that feel gluten is the great villain. Others are saying it's a... You know, there are healthy grains, whether it's barley, rye, wheat, and these things have been staples in many cultures. Maybe not so much in Indian country where, where corn would be more of the staple uh, historically or wild rice. But the question is, do some people, even if they go through the, the, the test, they don't have uh, celiac disease, there's no markers of intestinal problems with gluten, could they on a mental health level in your work at the clinics uh, – could they have a problem with gluten affecting their, their mental health? Oh, no question. And the stu- there are new studies showing that. And also there are, you know, some of the new studies coming out are showing that gluten actually negative, negatively affects the gut lining of all people, not just people with celiac. They don't have necessarily that same reaction, but it actually damages the gut lining. The word gluten means glue. Um, and it will affect that gut lining in all people, not just people with celiac. What damages the gut lining is going to affect your health overall. So it's not, it doesn't help anyone. That's the point. Gluten doesn't help anyone. I'm, I'm so not... that's where we want to go, okay, but does it, do you improve if you remove it? Now, does that mean everybody reacts the same? No, but what we do is we'll just, 
we want everyone to try. If they're having certain problems, we will have them eliminate it for a few weeks, see how they do. And many people just feel dramatically better. Well, that's a great way to go about it and, you know, trying to eliminate things. I'm not quite on the same page with having seen it having that broad and far-reaching effects. But, hey, you've got my attention, Tana, and so I'll be looking at that as well uh, more closely in the future. Let's come to this other question, and it's a question that I often get asked or I'm told it by my patients. We speak about better food choices, and I think one thing that historically has come to play when I've worked with dietitians and others in the nutritional community historically is they've been very good at math and not so good at behavior. And if I'm speaking too obtusely to you, I'm probably speaking too obtusely to all my listeners too, Tana. So let me tell you what I'm, I'm getting at. A lot of times someone will come to me and say, well, what's the harm of just doing this once or having it occasionally? That to me is kind of a mathematical thing. Well, you know, this amount of fat or that is not going to affect you. But it seems that that whole dialogue misses the behavioral aspect of eating. Where do you weigh in on this? Let's say someone says, well, you know, can I have an occasional cheeseburger and fries? I mean, do you say, hey, no problem, or are you worried? So that's a very good point. So what we usually tell people is that initially we want them to be um, more vigilant for the first few weeks because we want them to break that sort of addictive cycle that they've been on. And your body literally physically sort of needs to go through that ability to change, you know, what, what you've been doing and then also your habits. After you get past that, usually no one's perfect. There's absolutely no one perfect. So what we want to tell people is, number one, to lose the idea um, that you are even able to fail. Okay, so I like to tell people to think of it as falling in in martial arts. They teach us how to fall, Mm. how to fall safely, and how to get back up quickly. The only way you fail is if you don't get back up. So that's the first thing. Um, Lose the idea that you have to do it perfectly because no one's going to. And then after that, what we like to tell people is, you know, everything in moderation is usually sort of the gateway to just giving up at some point and not doing it correctly. Because everything in moderation doesn't usually work for most people. There are some things in moderation that will just keep you on that negative cycle. Uh uh Some things in moderation are fine. Some things should be more minimal, right? right. Some of those foods that are trigger foods for you, like sugar, that's just an addictive substance. So it's a legal controlled substance in essence. That's one of those things where, yeah, you're not going to really get away from it in our society, but if you are paying attention to it, Think of it more like I'm going to be very minimal. That's going to be a minimal substance for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if you do make those mistakes, or even if it's not a mistake, but occasionally you choose, say you're at an event or something, just be aware that you don't want to do it so often that you keep that addiction triggered. So for us, um, we would say 80-20 is a little too much because that's, that's like two days out of 10. Mm-hmm. That's probably too much. It's going to keep you pretty hooked. But if you, you know, we would just say occasionally, if you do it, just do it and get back, get back up. If you feel like you messed up, then those are actually the best times. We'll usually tell people, oh, good. That means you can journal and we can learn something from it. Mm-hmm. You don't learn when you're doing it perfectly. You learn when you are making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, these are great points. And uh, I'm interested in your feedback on something. We recently wrote a book uh, called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. And before we really launched into a lot of the dialogue about specific things to do, we did take time talking about some of the behavioral elements of lifestyle, including diet. And one of the things we made a case for, and I'm interested to to see if you think we, we made maybe too strong a point here, 
is we talk with people about problem foods. I mean, sometimes these things are labeled as addictions, and we make a case that there are certain things that people need to be insightful about that they need to totally eliminate because yeah. they have an addictive relationship with it. Is that reality in the food realm, or are we stretching that analogy a little too far? I would totally agree with you that that should be the goal. Okay, so I have, you know, when I got started on this journey, because of how I grew up, I, I, had a, I have a complete addiction to frosting. Mm. So, you, you know, if, if I didn't eliminate that, I would, you'd find me in the corner of some donut shop, you know, licking frosting off a of wax paper. If, if I even attempted to have a few bites of it, it just wow. would trigger that for me. So I agree with you. You know, this is uh, amazing, Tana, because we're talking about the importance on one hand of making clean breaks, and on another hand, we need to talk about this subject of mastery. How can you really be in charge of your lifestyle? We're going to come back on that note. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We have to step away for just a couple of minutes. We're going to be back with more from Tana Amen, and we're going to talk to you about how you can be a successful brain warrior for you, your family, your tribe, and your community. Don't go away. We will be back with more. I'm Dr. DeRose. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back for the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Tana Amen. Tana is uh, someone who's got a background as a registered nurse, but she's more known for her work in the uh, mental health field. She is uh, one of the leaders of the Amen Clinic, uh, worldwide renowned clinics that are working with especially mental health issues. Tana, people have been uh, listening to our dialogue, and I think a lot of them are walking away with just what I'm feeling. You're very easy to talk to. You've got a lot of great information. Is there a way that people can engage in dialogue with you after the show is over? So probably the best way if they actually want to engage with me directly is my Facebook page, Tana Amen, B-S-N-R-N. And I actually answer those questions personally, and I do live chats and things like that. Wow. So Tana is T-A-N-A, Amen is A-M-E-N, and then it's B-S-N-R-N for your bachelor's and registered nursing degrees. So we've got that information. For those of you, some of this stuff goes by pretty quickly. All the stations that air our show, we send out a weekly notice, and they have information, contact information on our guests that we put out to them. Well, they may not have mastered that contact information. It went by pretty quick. We'll give it again. But we have to talk about mastery when it comes to our lifestyle. Can you help us engage with that topic, uh, Tana? So I loved what you had to say, Dr. DeRose, in the last segment about, you know, when you tell people that some things you should stay away from. Initially, when we first started talking, we talked about the physiology of food addiction, how it affects your brain and keeps you kind of hooked. What we didn't talk about was mindset. So in our program, we talk about something similar to what you were talking about in the last segment, and that is gaining mastery over your brain and body. So mastery is an acronym we use. The M is mindset. If you don't know your why, you'll never do your what. And if you don't gain control over why you're doing this, you're not going to complete your mission. So then A is assessment. So we want you to assess your important numbers. You can't change what you don't know. So get your blood work done. Know your... BMI or your waist-to-height ratio, you got to know these numbers so you can actually make a difference. S is sustenance. That's the food. We want you to eat like a warrior. So all ancient tribes, they ate for one reason. It was to win. I'm fascinated with ancient warrior tribes mm. because food would it served one purpose. It wasn't like a comfort thing. It was to win, mm-hmm. and I love that. T is training. That's the daily habit. So everybody's got habits. When people tell me they're not motivated, I'm like, well, you're motivated to do something. Maybe it's to sit and binge watch Netflix, but you're motivated to do something, and you have daily habits already. Mm. What we want to do is help you change your daily habits so that now you're going to win. So that's the daily habits of a warrior. E is one of my favorite parts. E is essence, and that is turning your pain into purpose. So many of us have been through pain, or we've got loved ones that we, you know, we've seen suffer, and we want you to channel that so that you don't feel and think like a victim, but rather you channel that and you go from victim to victorious. Mm -hmm. So that's essence. R is responsibility, another great part, because it's not just about you, it's about generations of you. So your habits affect your children and your grandchildren. Also, that's another part of being a warrior and not feeling like a victim. The word responsibility in and of itself means the ability to respond, right? So Mm -hmm. I love that because it puts you in the driver's seat. And then why is years long? So we're no longer going to lie to people and say four hours to this or two, you know, two weeks to that. You're going to feel better really quickly. But if you think you can do anything for two weeks and it's going to make a difference, and this is a little bit about what you were talking about, you're lying to yourself mm-hmm. because it takes time to form new habits. It takes time to get over those, 
you know, whether they are psychological or physical addictions, it takes time to reset and begin to form these new neural tracks so that you do things in a new way. And it's got to be something that has no gimmicks, no special food products, nothing, things that you can do every day and you can share with your family. Tribe is one of the most important things that you can have, your community, because people are contagious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's really important. Important. We want people to stop thinking of it like a diet. I mean, the first three letters of the word diet are die. Uh-huh. So it's got to be a lifestyle. No, I mean, these are great messages. And one of the things I love about what you're talking about, the social construct, and we, we talked a little bit about uh, this in our, in our hypertension book. They, they actually looked at obesity, which, of course, is you know, a determinant of you know, all kinds of things. It affects blood pressure as well as brain health. And you may have seen this study. They actually mapped obesity in the United States, and they found it was spreading like a disease. Yeah. And, it's contagious. Yeah, and, and so we we start saying, well, wait, how could that be? I mean, these are these personal choices, but just like what you're saying, no. the people that we surround ourselves with have a dramatic impact on how we behave, don't they? So they have actually done studies on this, and the people that you spend time with are literally contagious. Hmm. Obesity is spread through your community. Happiness is spread through your community. Disease and illness spread through your community. It's a fact. Because the people you spend time with, you begin to adopt their habits. It begins to become your norm. And along with that, you know, in martial arts, we have another saying that I love. Um, You do not rise to the level of your expectations. You fall to the level of your training. Hmm. And we tend to train like the people we spend time with. You fall to the level of your training. Yes. Huh. We, We might wish to be... A rock star, but if you're not putting the work in every day, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you're spending time with people who are sitting around, you know, eating and smoking pot all day, then that's going to become, you know, your norm. So how does someone change that? What kind of practical steps? If someone looks around, you know, they're listening to us right now, Tana, and they say, hey, I mean, look at these people around me. I don't really want to be like that, but I like these people. They're my family. They're my friends. How does someone break out of that? that's an interesting question. So I I mentioned earlier my background, uh, lots of trauma, drama, chaos, and physical illness. I mean, I I come from a family full of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, um, drug addiction. My uncle, one of my early memories when I was four was my uncle um, being murdered in a drug deal. And I remember my grandmother and my mother just falling to the floor screaming. You know, how do you change that culture? And that's a very common question. I love, you know, my family. My mom's amazing. You know, some of my family members, we're a little more toxic. Mm-hmm. And you have to be honest and ask yourself, am I strong enough to stand up to that? Are there people that I need to love from a distance? And the people that I choose to spend time with, can I spend time with them and have them respect my boundaries? But in addition to that, I need new people in my tribe to keep me strong. So I like to give this example. In, in training for martial arts, I trained somewhere and I intentionally chose a place where I knew it was really hard to get a black belt, mm-hmm. not a black belt factory. I've got two black belts. The second one was really difficult. I was told I should never train again after getting sick the last time because of some physical health challenges. And I went, you know what? I'm going to do this because for me it's symbolic of overcoming. Mm -hmm. Now, in my normal circles, people think I'm crazy. They're like, why would you do that? You get hurt, you get bruises, you get whatever. But I chose this community because I knew that that community was going to support me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to give my family up, but I chose a community where when I go in and I get hurt or I have bruises or I'm not feeling confident in my ability, these people push me. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, they tell you, you know, this is just part of the journey. You're doing amazing. A few bruises aren't going to hurt you. Just think about the end result. 
So I've got that community that when I'm being, when I'm doubting myself or people on the other side are not supporting me in that journey, I've got that tribe that's still supporting me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you've got to choose, you know, at least a tribe that's going to support you on the journey you're on and spend the healthiest people you can find in your, you know, in your lifetime and spend as much time as you can with them. Boy, these are great messages, and it's really calling us to a, a higher standard. And a phrase that I like sometimes is a disciplined life. Does, does that yeah. seem like a distancing phrase, or is that uh, something that resonates with you as well? Well, I love Jim Rohn's. Um, he's got you know, a saying that I love, and that is all people suffer from one of two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Hmm. You know, which one do you want to suffer from? <laughs> which pain do you want more? I love the pain of discipline. Because for me, like I said, it's symbolic of overcoming, of never giving up. If you've ever been, you know, down and out or sick, um, for me, that's just symbolic. No, this is great. We need to come back, though, to the the whole topic of lifestyle. You folks there at the Amen Clinics are speaking, of course, about diet. We've spoken some about some of the foods that we need to avoid, the kind of whole foods, the uh, unrefined foods that we need to emphasize. But there's a whole lot more to lifestyle than just what we eat. What are those other big factors that you're educating your patients to prioritize and to make part of that daily discipline? Oh, gosh, so that's one of the reasons we talk about mastery because your daily habits are so important. And included in those daily habits, sleep. The new research on sleep is just critical. So since we're on the warrior topic, they actually did a study on soldiers. Soldiers who got seven hours of sleep when they took them to the range, they were 98% accurate. When they got one last hour of sleep at night, at six hours of sleep, they were 50% accurate. Hmm. I mean, notice the drop. Five, at five hours, they were 25% accurate, and at four hours, they were 15% accurate. That's downright dangerous. Wow. So these programs drive me crazy that are you know, promised to teach people to sleep less and do more. Um, your brain cleans itself. It literally goes through a process of cleaning up stuff in your brain when you sleep. You need to sleep. It's when you, you know, form some of these hormones that really help you. You've got to sleep. That's one thing. So you need to schedule it with purpose. And if you have trouble sleeping, then you need to fix that. I'm one of those people who has trouble sleeping. So I have a whole program that I talk about on sleep. So, you know, make your room dark. Keep it a little cool. Make sure that you have, you know, noise, you know, things that you're doing for your sleep. That's one. Meditation or prayer, I think of them somewhat the same. Hmm. Um, but a way to quiet your brain, to focus on intention, focus on things you're grateful for, and learn to find the positive in every negative. That, that's just critical for setting your day up, and your brain makes happen what it sees, what you tell it. You have, Those are just a couple of the things. I mean, I can keep going. No, right. <laughs> now, I know you guys have got some great information with the clinic. You've got a point of contact that you've given us. Give us, first of all, again, how to contact you personally, and then if someone may want to tap into some of the perhaps resources that, uh, you know, books, uh, things that you folks have developed at the clinic. So my personal website is TanaAmon.com. If you want to interact with me directly, my Facebook page, which is Tana Amon, B-S-N-R-N. I actually answer those questions personally. And then there's the AmonClinics.com. That's got information on our mental health programs, on you know someone who might be struggling or looking for resources. Okay, so Amon Clinics, that's A-M-E-N, Clinics.com. 
And that's a way to get the Brain Warriors book and the cookbook. Do you have all that there on the uh, Yes, and also page? on my website and on my Facebook page. Okay. So you can find that information. So if, if you can remember the name Amen, of course it's pronounced Amen in this case, but A-M-E-N, and uh, Tana, just like the end of Montana, T-A-N-A. If you got that name down, TanaAmen.com you'll be able to uh, tap into this or Tana Amen, B-S-N-R-N, or theamenclinics.com. So you've got a lot of information out there that people can uh, access. Much of it is free, but then you've got resources that people can also pick up that are uh, for sale, that are more in-depth, correct? Absolutely. Tana, so you mentioned sleep, and I know that's a big issue for a lot of people. I see many patients in my office who are troubled by insomnia. We don't have a lot of time as this segment is just closing out, but you mentioned a few things. What about the person who has that racing brain uh, that's keeping them awake? I have one. I understand. <laughs> so a quick insight on that? So that's why meditation has become so important to me, a way to settle things down. Regarding sleep, there's a lot of natural things you can do. You know, a warm bath, quieting your room down, shut your, your gadgets down at least an hour before bed because Great. the blue light in gadgets will, will actually affect your melatonin. Boy, that brings up another subject, melatonin. We've got to talk about that, but we've got to step away for just a moment. Tana Amen, she's talking with us about things that can make a dramatic difference in your brain health and in your life. We've got more to come in our final segment. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. You're listening to American Indian Living. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. 
Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with Tana Amen. Tana, a registered nurse and one of the leaders of the Amen Clinics. She's been speaking with us about how you can be a brain warrior. We were speaking in the last segment about some things that can help sleep, and we began to discuss the topic of melatonin. This is a subject that I've gotten really interested in, uh, Tana. I mentioned to you, and many of our listeners have heard about our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. Fascinating research showing that controlled-release melatonin actually has blood pressure-lowering properties, but it does far more than that. What should our listeners know about melatonin if they're having trouble sleeping? So if the issue is your melatonin, then that is one of the, the things that often helps people. So it helps me a lot. What we like to tell people is oftentimes it's better to get a time-release melatonin mm-hmm. because if people don't use a time-release melatonin, sometimes what will happen is they'll wake up in the middle of the night. So a time-release can help you sort of get through um, for longer periods of time. Also, combining it with magnesium. So so many people are low in magnesium, and magnesium is one of those um, you know, supplements, it's not expensive, and it can tend to help people relax. So we really like um, people to try that at least and see if it helps. So I take melatonin and magnesium together. And teas, believe it or not, there are some teas that are really helpful. Um, there are teas that have valerian in them. Now, some people actually have weird dreams when they, you know, have tea with valerian in it. But you can try that, and they will settle you down. So like an hour to an hour and a half before you want to start going to sleep, Try to do these things. Start to mentally relax your body and don't think about stressful events. Mm-hmm. You know, write them down. If there's something bothering you, write it down, get it out of your head, and start to calm yourself before bed. These are great messages, and I'm glad that you mentioned magnesium. That is something that, that I'm a real advocate of. I've got so many uses. I was just giving a lecture myself earlier this week. Someone came up to me and was talking about heart rhythm problems many times. Right. Low magnesium can be involved in that. You mentioned the muscle relaxing properties. Uh, commonly deficient because of the frequency with which we use these diuretics. That's one of the things that's really robbing people of magnesium. So thanks for highlighting that as well as the herbal teas and the melatonin. You know, one of the subjects that is big on the list when we talk about any disease process is physical exercise. I know it's no different with the brain, but make that real clear for us. Someone who's not on a regular exercise program, why should they be concerned if they've got a concern about mental health? So here's what's interesting. So one of my mentors, Dr. Perlmutter, who is very well known in the you know brain health world, if you will, um, he, he talks about exercise like it is the best medicine in the world, Mm. Um, that if there were a medicine that could be bottled that were as strong as exercise, you know, everyone would be really wealthy from this product. My cardiologist, same thing. Um, So it's really interesting. What's good for the brain is good for the heart, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is, you know, it's not only helps with, you know, bringing down inflammation, with increasing blood flow, because it's all about blood flow, right? Mm -hmm. So what's good for your brain is good for your heart. It increases the blood flow. It helps in so many areas. It increases something in your brain called BDNF. So mm-hmm. that's a substance that helps your 
brain cells grow. And so that's why it's so helpful in protecting your cognitive function. So, yes, it's critical. Exercise is critical. The, the obstacle we run into is people say, but I hate exercise. Usually if we can get them to really think about something that they love and stop thinking about it as an exercise quote-unquote program, it's different. So we just try to get people to think of it this way. All movement matters. Mm-hmm. Stop thinking you have to do a set thing in particular that you don't like. So I love karate. You know, I love martial arts. So that is, you know, that counts. If you love table tennis like my husband or, you know, playing some racket sport, that counts. If you just want to go for a walk or a hike, okay, just move your body. Mm-hmm. So all movement matters and stop thinking that it has to be perfect or a certain program. Just get moving. So just get moving. This is a powerful message, Tana, because a lot of times you're exactly right. I've, I've seen it over the years so many times. People tell me they hate to exercise, but once they actually catch this message like you're sharing, just embracing activity, whether it's a traditional activity like uh, canoeing or farming, gardening, whether it's walking, it doesn't matter. Do something, and then people start to feel better. If they're overweight, they start losing weight, and it becomes uh, self-reinforcing, doesn't it? It does, and then they want to do more and more. So Steve, one of the people that we worked with who lost 450 pounds, wow. when he started, he couldn't get out of his chair. So he started dancing in his chair because he had huh. pain in his joints, and as he lost weight, then he got up and started walking. If you're in an area where it's, you know, the weather's you know, not great, do something in your home. It's okay. As long as you move. If you like binge-watching Netflix, just do it while you're moving. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. So, Tana, we've talked about a lot, and I know you could talk about a whole lot more. You've chronicled many of these uh, suggestions and much more in the Brain Warriors series of books. Tell us just briefly again about those and how we can get them. So you can go to TanaAmon.com. That's my website. I have lots of recipes and things to share, and you can get information on the book. You can also go to amonclinic.com. That is our clinic website where you can get lots of resources on what we do in mental health. And then, of course, my Facebook page where I interact personally. That's Tana Amon, B-S-N-R-N. So, Tana, we got all these resources out there. They're available. Uh, Anybody can access those. But where the rubber often meets the road is in the area of motivation. So someone might have your book. They might have interacted with you. They may have even come to the clinic. I know I've run intensive clinics, and some people, you know, we've got these great success stories. But other people, something is missing. What do you say to someone who feels like they know what they need to do but just can't seem to find the motivation to do it? So I would have them start to really think about why they must change. If you don't know your why, you won't do your what. Then I would, there are two types of people, people who need to jump the canyon and people who need to take small steps. Hmm. It's okay either way. If you're like me and you need to jump the canyon, then just jump in and do it. Otherwise, if you're a person who wants to take small steps, think of one thing you can change today, whether it's drinking more water or taking a 10-minute walk and then increasing it. Master that one thing. Probably the most important thing I would say is join one of the communities, like just join, you know, a Facebook page or listening to your radio show. Getting that community of people where you can interact regularly and start to get that positive message on a daily basis, who you spend time with will eventually rub off, right? Mm -hmm. You want to spend time with people. All of my friends are smarter. You know, they do more than I do. I want that because I'm hoping that it's going to rub off on me. 
So do that, and eventually it will begin to change. And if you're thinking that being a warrior sounds too hard, I really want you to just think about this one thing, one of my favorite quotes in martial arts. The warrior says to his master, Master, why do you teach me to fight but speak of peace? And the master replies, Because it's easier to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. So we just want you to start thinking like a warrior and training like a warrior and creating your garden. Mm-hmm. Great points, uh, Tana. You know, you mentioned something, though, that I think is, is worth at least dwelling on for a moment. I know the clock is, is rapidly uh, running. But you talked about some folks that can get by with taking those small steps. This is typically what a lot of us in the public health community have heard about and behavior change. But you're suggesting that some people have to jump the canyon. What do you mean by that, and, and who are those people? How do they know they've got to do something big? So I'm one of those people. There are some people who, if they start taking one step at a time, they sort of get bored and lose track. Or if their health is bad, it, they might be in a critical place, and they really need to do you know, it's acute. They need to do something right now, and it's critical that they make massive change. Mm-hmm. Either one of those scenarios, I, I often say that, you know, you can't cross a canyon in two small steps, and I used to think that everyone needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned over the years in working with tens of thousands of people that most people actually aren't like that. But if you're in that place where it's critical for you to make change, then okay, do that. Start jumping in, making some massive change, and if you respond better to that, that's okay. But most people, what we have found is, Mastering one tiny step, tiny habit, actually helps them succeed better. They can Mm -hmm. master one thing, they feel a little better. They master the next thing, they Mm -hmm. feel a little better. We actually created a poster with 50 things that grow your brain, so being brain fit and 50 things that will help grow your brain. And it's almost like a chore chart for kids where you can put a star by it, and each week you just master one step. Where does someone get that? If you go to amonclinics.com and then just click on the store, it'll take you there. Wow. Tana, you've got great stuff, a lot of things that have stimulated my thinking and have gotten me to say, hey, i got to look at uh, some more of this stuff in more detail. Our time has just about slipped away. What kind of closing messages do you have for our listeners? So I just want to reiterate, um, you know, I love, you know, what you're doing, Dr. DeRose, with, you know, the Native American tribes. And what I love is they actually already have the concept of tribes mm-hmm. because I really think that that's one of the things that is the missing ingredient for most people to be successful. Wow. Focus on your tribe. It's not just about you. It's about generations of you. Doing this in community is going to be the thing that really helps you succeed long term and really mastering your mindset. So don't make it a diet. You've got to get that mindset down. And so starting with that M mindset, why it matters, know why it matters, Mm -hmm. and always focus on that when it feels hard. Remember, making some changes is uncomfortable. Being sick is hard. Great. Tana, we got to run. Thank you so much for all your wisdom, your experience, and your sharing. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One. The Native American Radio Network.